What's up, QAA listeners? The fun games have begun. I found a way to connect to the internet. I'm sorry, boy. Welcome, listener, to Chapter 225 of the QAnon Anonymous Podcast, The Reckoning Fest episode. As always, we are your hosts, Jake Brakatansky, Julian Fields, and Travis View. It was an illustration of a buff, young Uncle Sam pulling his sleeves up to kick ass. He looked furious and was wearing bunny ears that had clearly been photoshopped in. Above his head, in red block text, it said, Spring Reckoning Fest. The email was advertising an upcoming event. It's not too late to join us at the Spring Reckoning Fest this Saturday, March 25th in Frisco, Texas. My inbox had become a dumping ground for these types of emails, informing me of QAnon-adjacent products, seminars, and events, often too melted to comprehend. But this one caught my eye for a couple of reasons. For starters, one of the advertised speakers was Juan O'Savin, real name Wayne Willett, who rose to prominence in Q circles because some believe he's JFK Jr. in disguise. The rotund Texan looked nothing like the late political scion, of course, but was able to quickly leverage his growing popularity to position himself as a political fixer, attempting to get multiple Q-believing secretaries of state elected in 2022. It briefly looked like he would make a real dent, but in the end, all but one of the candidates he mentored failed to secure a position. Another reason the flyer for Reckoning Fest grabbed my attention was their advertising for a special performance by Wade Williams, promising, quote, popular hits from the QAnon musical. I had no idea a pro-QAnon musical had been written, and I really wanted to experience it firsthand. The flyer was generating a lot of questions. Who was the pixelated child known simply as Shannon who appeared to be sitting with a Lego figurine? And why was the host, a man named Chris Eriks, aka Baby Trump, so squished in his photo? <laughs> Here we go. It's going to be a long episode for Jake. <laughs> oh my God, he's so squished. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. What truly sealed the deal for me was a promise they made in the flyer that at 5.30 p.m., the audience would be treated to a, quote, small charcuterie reception with Frank Sinatra impersonator. We needed to attend this thing, and I already knew Jake would turn into the sound of swishing shorts the second he heard about it. I'd have to convince Travis View. Yeah, you texted me while I happened to be with my family at a pizza place, eating pizza. It was very nice. And you asked if I was interested in going to Texas this weekend, which I really was not. Not not at first blush. But uh, then you kind of explained what the event was. And I realized that, um, you know, I feel like... I really, really, really got to go to this one. So, yeah, so I, I, I broke down and then, yeah, I said that um, I'll see you in Texas. And that's what happened. I like to take the good life away from you, my brother. <laughs> Frisco was a wealthy northern suburb of Dallas filled with big box stores, a mall, and even a circus near our hotel. The morning of, we ate breakfast quietly, then headed to our room to get changed for the event. I had briefly considered wearing a t-shirt with a watercolor portrait of General Flynn, but I decided against it when I remembered that he'd been calling QAnon a CIA PSYOP a lot recently. Maybe these people wouldn't appreciate seeing his face on my chest. I opted for my black t-shirt portraying Hillary and Bill Clinton as mafia hitmen with silenced pistols. Clinton's, they can't suicide us all, was printed beneath the political couple. Add a MAGA hat, the classic red one, and I'd be undercover enough, I figured. I ashamedly tucked the hat into my pants, no way I was wearing this thing through the lobby. We arrived to Reckoning Fest 10 minutes late, but it didn't matter. Maybe Trump was a little late himself to kick it off. Walking into Frisco Hall, I spotted two armed security guards with badges and bulletproof vests. One of them had a 1776 sleeve tattoo and glared at me. 
But the two women registering guests were friendly, and they took to me immediately as we got checked in and received our bracelets. Hi! How you doing? How are you? I want to see your shirt. What does it say? They can't suicide assault. That's right! Can I take a picture of that? Absolutely! (laughs) Oh, fantastic. The security guard approached me, but it was mostly to check out my t-shirt as well. He asked if I had any weapons on me. I told him I didn't. He waved us in, smiling. We entered the main event room. High ceilings, gaudy modern chandeliers made of Swarovski diamonds, walls peppered with blue LEDs, and a stage beset with a giant monitor and surrounded by a room full of tables. The place looked brand new. Vendor booths peppered its edges, advertising everything from dog CBD to rhinestone-encrusted Trump merch to multi-level marketing schemes. The usual fare for this kind of thing. We picked a table in the back corner, hoping we wouldn't be too noticeable. I took out my audio recorder and placed it on a chair next to me, pointing it to the ceiling, where built-in speakers relayed what was happening on stage. The host and organizer of the event, Chris Eriks, aka Baby Trump, is a relative newcomer to the scene, but he is instantly recognizable due to his bodybuilder's physique and flashy fashion sense. He was in Washington, D.C. for January 6th. In fact, he says that he got the name Baby Trump right after Right Side Broadcasting showed him dancing at the ellipse while waiting for Trump to come out and give his speech. So January 6th, I was at the ellipse. Um, I was dancing. It was freezing cold. I was waiting for Trump to come out about an hour and a half late. We all know he was late. And so I didn't know what to do, so I used my God given talent, which was dance. So I started getting the crowd all rallied up and started doing the YMCA and high-fiving. I didn't know that I was live on national TV for over three minutes and 33 seconds. Right Side Broadcasting News took that video clip, three minutes and 33 seconds, and put it on Trump's Facebook page. It went viral in three days, 72 hours. I am Donald Trump's last post on Facebook before they, you know, burnt all his accounts in mine. That's a pretty nice claim to fame for a, for a MAGA guy. The best dancer in MAGA movement. <laughs> the last thing that Trump posted, the last thing he ever posted, is yeah. me using my God-given talents of dance. <laughs> You know, the funny thing is that I um, checked Trump's Facebook page since it has been restored, and I found that Trump's actual last post was a plea to the rioters to be peaceful. And even then, he didn't post just a clip of Chris Eric's dancing. He posted the full right side broadcast of the ellipse at that day. So not sure what he's saying here is totally accurate. So the mystery of how he got the name Baby Trump remains. Mm Mm-hmm. I hope you didn't say this to him when you met him at the uh, festival. That would be no. really rude. No, of course not. He was very busy being fabulous. Yeah. So we okay. kind of let him do his thing. Cool. I did like take a photo with him, and uh, he ended up giving me his phone number. Nice. Not in that way. He wanted me to send a photo of him with this other melted guy, Lloyd, Lloyd Brunson. Okay. His drip is palpable. It's... Oh, I mean... He is wearing the shiniest golden leopard print shirt I've ever seen. His shoes are matching, but they're a kind of smooth shiny at the tip, 
<laughs> long Italian tip, and then the rest is like kind of rhinestone gold. He's extremely tanned, clearly does tanning beds, and he teeth also has very white. very white teeth and like blonde hair put up into a little faux hawk. Yeah, I mean, this guy could easily be like a heel like in, uh, you know, pro wrestling. Yes. Chris Eriks says that before he got into the QAnon area content and events game, he was a model and dancer. I was born and raised in North Jersey, hence Jersey Shore look, right? And uh, then I lived in Brooklyn, New York, and, and grew up in you know the latter days of my adolescence in New York. Uh, I was, became a professional model um, at 16, 17, did runway did print and magazine at a very high level. Um, had a contract with After Six Tuxedos out of Philadelphia for one year uh, because they wanted 42 regulars. And in one year, I grew my back so wide that I became 44 regular. So they ripped up that contract. And from that point on, I really didn't, I wanted to still continue modeling. But because I was building my body as a bodybuilder at that time, you know, uh, like there wasn't many avenues for bodybuilders like there is now. And so I became a professional dancer and took three years of jazz. People don't even know this about me, but I took three years of jazz, two years of ballet in Philadelphia, uh, hooked up with male reviews along the way, a couple of them. And then at 22, became one of the original Chippendale dancers on First Avenue in New York. That's what happens when you grow your back from a 42 to a 44. You get censored by the deep state. The matrix descends on you for having two broad shoulders. I know. I love that story that like, you know, I was a tuxedo model, but I got too fucking swole. They said, listen, our our, our suits are meant for physiques as impressive as your own. Your lats are just too flared. We just can't do it, man. We got to rip up your contract. They eventually fired me as a Chippendale because the women were getting too horny and they would destroy (laughs) the place. So as far as I can tell, this is the fourth Reckoning Fest organized by Chris Eriks. Speakers of previous events have included MyPillow CEO Mike Lindell, journalist-turned-pilled lunatic Lara Logan, uh, anti-vax icon Judy Mikovits, and even Michael Protzman, who is the leader of the Negative 48 cult. Now, you may recall that the Negative 48 cult is a group who gathered at uh, Dealey Plaza in 2021 on the anniversary of JFK's assassination because they were convinced that JFK Jr. would reveal that he's alive at that time and place. Now, the Negative 48 cult still active, though Michael Prussman and many of its members opted to attend the Trump rally in Waco, Texas, which was occurring on the same day. It appears that uh, Chris Eriks has strong ties uh, to the Negative 48 cult. Uh, another Negative 48 cult member, Mickey Larson Olson, better known as Q Patriot. This is a woman who has a really impressive head-to-toe getup of uh, patriotic gear claims in a Telegram post that she was scheduled to appear at a previous Reckoning Fest in Mesquite, Texas, but Chris wanted to keep her name and image off the advertising for the event. Here's what she said. Something went down with Chris before I went to jail. Chris said he wanted me to speak at the Reckoning Fest in Mesquite. So when it came down to it, my name or a picture of me was not on the flyer of Reckoning Fest in Mesquite, Texas. So I texted Chris and I asked him why my name or picture was not on the flyer. Mind you, he met me 6 Jan 21 as Q Patriot. 
He said it was too risky to put me on the flyer. He said he didn't want people to think it was a QAnon event. He said, but I still want you to read your poem. Well, my poem is called We're Ready to Fight, and I think if the speakers are on the flyer and someone claims they want me to be a speaker, that I have earned the right to be identified as such. So I will fight for myself to be given the same respect as all other scheduled speakers. So his claims he doesn't care what people think are bullshit. I mean, it seems like Chris, I guess he's no longer really that worried about it appearing too much like a QAnon event if he was ever worried before because, you know, the advertising included a graphic for QAnon the musical. Chris Eriks kicked things off by encouraging people to send their friends to the Clout Hub live stream of the event and reminding the crowd that this event is for we, the people. And what happened was I had to come to the realization this is not my event. It's not about me. It's not about how many people come, how many people don't come. It's about you. It's about you. And you're going to see what's going to happen during this day and night. Okay? So I'm doing this for you. This is my gift to you. You'll never, ever have an event like this. Now, are things going to go wrong? Hell yeah. But that's okay. Is everything going to fall apart? <laughs> oh, you bet your ass it will. I got to say, that's an enticing pitch. Something's going to happen, and no one in this room, even me, knows what's going to be. I might trip on a curtain. <laughs> I might barf on one of you. The first speaker was a man named Jerry Foley, who founded the evangelical organization Gideon's Army. Jerry Foley offered his personal testimony about how he came to Jesus and recounted how Juan O'Savin inspired him to focus on prayer. When Foley started talking about the things he was praying for, I got a sense of what we should expect for the day. Uh, Prime Minister and myself were doing a, a telecast with Juan, and Prime said to Juan, should we take it to the streets? You know, because things were going on. Everyone who is here have seen so many things over the last few years and the ups and the downs of what we're all going through. And Juan said, no, Prime, don't take it to the streets. You got to pray. So from that day until today, we've been praying almost daily for the President of the United States, our Commander-in-Chief, Donald J. Trump. We've been praying for the little hearts and the little hands that are in those deep underground military bases that most of us don't even believe that's happening. We've been praying for the military men and women that are rescuing them. He had very bad vibes, and he looks a lot like Rudy Giuliani, like same kind of hunched. And weird, he sounds guy. like, and he sounds a lot like Mo, uh, the the owner of the bar from The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, Alma. These little hands. <laughs> While you're drinking this beer, I want you to think of all the children being rescued. Bonnie, get out of here. <laughs> so Jerry Foley is one of like a few people that day who said that Trump is still president. He also congratulated the attendees for staying in the fight despite the fact that family and friends keep calling everyone nuts. Give yourselves a hand. Everybody here, give yourselves a hand for being here. Everyone is. Give yourselves a hand. How many people here have gone through so much? Gone through so much. Family and friends, you try to rent to him, you try to talk to him about stuff, and they think you're absolutely nuts. Right? And you guys are still here, still in the fight today. Juan said, Juan said three reckonings ago, you guys are still in the fight. Three reckonings later, you guys are still here. Together, unifying together. Hallelujah to all of you. Don't give up. Never, as Billy Falcon says, never surrender. 
early on in the event, we got to see one of the most startling guests, and that is the 12-year-old boy who just goes by the name Shannon. But he's also called the Lego Kid Genius. And um, I was kind of say I was a little bit reluctant about whether or not even to talk about him yeah. because, again, he's 12 and we are grown men. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I feel like I just like he could there's lots of directions he can go in life. But I decided that, you know, I do want to kind of like talk about his presentation a bit for for a couple reasons, one of which is that he is really well connected, apparently much more well connected <laughs> than uh, most people I'll say. And um, Shannon, Shannon, he's a he's a very uh, talented, creative, confident young man. He was a really, you know, uh, lots of lots of evangelicals are, uh, you know, really good at public speaking, and he certainly was. And the reason we were seeing Shannon is because he has a Rumble channel in which he makes these uh, these short stop motion movies with his Lego figurines, and he, he has a series called Freedom Force. In this Freedom Force series, he makes superhero Lego versions of heroes to the conspiracist right. For example, there's Lego Mike Lindell, Lego Clay Clark. And there's also the uh, ivermectin pushing doctor Stella Emanuel Lego version. Yeah, the demon come lady. That's awesome. Yeah. You want a Lego version of her. Yeah. And of course, General Michael Flynn. In one episode of the series, he portrays Michael Flynn as having the ability to summon any patriot from the past. Okay, this is just a Jake story. It's better than what I thought of. And then the Lego Michael Flynn uses his power to summon George Washington, and then the Freedom Force goes on to battle Lego Klaus Schwab, the founder of the World Economic Forum. In one video on his Rumble channel, Shannon explains the main message of General Flynn, according to him. And General Flynn and Clay are very good friends. They do the Reawaken America tour together, but even whenever he's not on the tour, he has a very strong message for patriots like you and me. And that message is that we need to start locally. And you might not know what that means whenever I'm saying it, but it means that we just need to start doing the little things to make our nation better, such as just red-pilling your friends, talking to them about what's going on. God has a place for us in America to make the nation better. And he has a plan for you and a plan for me. Oh my God, imagine you fucking sending your 12 year old kid to school and his fucking playmate is trying to red pill him. Yeah, I used Calling to, him a normie. I used to make stop action Lego movies, but not like this. It's amazing. So we've got Mo and we've got Bobby from King of the Hill. I mean, oh what other God. cartoon characters are we gonna get? I don't know, a lot, a lot. It gets way more cartoonish than this. How is the stop motion? I haven't seen any of his videos. It's, is it good? I don't want to be rude to Travis, but I thought it's pretty trash. Travis, what did you think? Because with all the technology that you have nowadays with an iPhone, Android, you know, uh, editing programs on your thing, yeah. you know, you know, I, you probably, I, I, I used an old, uh, like a, you know, handheld, uh, you know, camcorder, yeah. essentially, uh, there was no editing. You 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 shot your scene. You moved your Lego guy a little bit. You hit record and stop again. Yeah. You know that was yep. it. Yeah. I think they have like some b- slightly more guided processes now, like built into apps or computers. Mm-hmm. But still, it was like not particularly amazing. I mean, he's mm. just he's doing it. Okay. I don't know. I I, I don't know. I'm gonna insult again, the child of Travis. Again, Walt. again, we are grown men. Talking about the creative output of a 12-year-old. And when you're that young, what really matters is that you're passionate about it and you're doing it and you're having fun. No, uh, not if it's red-pilling your friends, Travis. No, 
No, I don't even have right. a child. And I know better than to think we can't criticize the child who's telling people on the freaking YouTube, on the fucking Rumble, that he's going to go and red pill his friends, that that's what he's going to do. No, bad. Yeah. Bad child. All right. You've done a boo-boo. I'm, I'm with no. Travis on this. I, I think, you know, explore, you know, stretch out your talent, see where they go. Yeah, explore, stretch out. I didn't have my own channel at 12 years old. I mean, I was... Who, me or the Shannon's kids? Jesus Christ. <laughs> God damn it. Uh, this message was approved by nope. Travis. No. No. Okay. Okay. So Shannon during his talk, he uh he discussed the, the contents of his Rumble channel. He also talked about his collaboration with former Trump administration staffer Cash Patel. Patel has written a children's book called The Plot Against the King, which is, of course, a parable about how the supposed deep state uh, sabotaged Trump's presidency. Apparently, Shannon is working with Patel to make an animated Lego version of that story. There is like a very small chance of this happening, but Cash Patel is one of the possible names that Trump could put in charge of the CIA if he takes office again, which I'm sorry, but that would be very funny. Also, they deserve it. <laughs> they deserve to have the guy who drew Trump as a buff, cool king in charge of their Who's fucking collaborating. shit. He's like, I'm collaborating. He might do what with, JFK wanted to do. With a very talented 12-year-old. <laughs> it's insane. That's the thing. It's like he kept talking about all the people he works with. He's like, yeah, the, this guy gave me his voice for my Lego thing. It's like, why are all these weird fucking MAGA guys and QAnon people collaborating with a 12-year-old to, to put... Put out like weird Lego propaganda. Absolutely disturbing stuff. Yeah, he should be doing this with his friends. And, you know, his friends yeah. at one point can be like, do we have to make it about Michael Flynn and do Donald we, Trump? Do, who's we, Clay Clark? Could we just make it about like Iron Man or something? And then, Even you know. Even if you want it to be like Jesus-y, fine. Do, do freaking parts of the Bible or something. You don't need to care about the, the fight against the deep state. You don't. You just go have fun. Go do something else. Certainly don't end up, you know, selling honey. Huh? Yeah, speaking of that, uh, Shannon took a break from talking about his content to pitch his sponsor. And so right now I just wanted to take a short little moment to talk about something that sponsors me, which is a great friend of mine. So how many of y'all have heard of Make Honey Great Again? So it is pretty much a bottle of honey with Donald Trump's face on it. <laughs> Now this honey is just pure raw honey. And so if you go to makehoneygreatagain.com and at checkout use promo code all caps TYP, it will really help me out. And I just want to thank you in advance for that. Tell me more about the honey. Why is it good? You know, he's just like the selling point is that it's got honey in the slogan that you like and on the bottle is the president that you like the most. Yeah. Well, doesn't matter where we it. get the fucking honey. I mean, he did say. I mean, it was it's like, it's branding, you know? right? Jesus, you know, this yeah. is, you know, all soda is just sugar water. Just branding is different. I do kind of regret not getting a, a bottle for the studio. Yeah, what were you thinking? I don't know. There were so many things Shannon. like that, like where I was like, I got overwhelmed with the different merch items I wanted <laughs> to purchase, and in the end, I just got us something that will probably help us like write another episode instead. Yeah. <laughs> Shannon expresses pessimistic belief that the rapture would uh, call the saved up to heaven before America could be made great again. 
glory, I just want to say, if you don't know God in this room today, I want you to. I want you to be able to know that in your heart, whenever you die, you're going to heaven, no matter what happens, because we're all going to one place above, and that's heaven. I personally don't believe that we'll be able to fix America back, but I do believe that the rapture is coming soon. How many are with me on that? I believe that God's coming back soon, and I have faith in it. Never heard a 12-year-old so excited that the world was going to end. I'm genuinely disturbed by that last uh, yeah, that last part. Of course, he's like he, he's one of these he's kind of a figure in like revivalism, you know, this 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 yes, like it's yes. like the child essentially the child grifter preacher. Yes, he would be played by Paul Dano in like yes. the movie version of this. Yes. A younger Paul Dano. Yes, and I would be um let's say the other character in there will be blood. And let's just say me and Shannon <laughs> Well, let's just say, <laughs> no. have no. you heard of milkshakes? No, no, we're not doing From it. From across the room. We're not doing it. I drink your honey. <laughs> a woman known as Melissa Redpill then took to the stage. <laughs> I love that. For so long, we've had to put up with people kind of like masking QAnon and, you know, secretly whispering where we go, one we go all, you know, sticking it in at the end of the speech, you know, throwaway. But this is just a oh, yeah. pure embrace. There is no... There's no formalities here. Mm -hmm. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Melissa Redman. Her full moniker was Melissa Redpill the World, but I guess they shortened it to Melissa Redpill. She's the author of several books with titles like The Book of Revelation Revealed, Ready for the Truth, Hashtag The Great Awakening, and End Times and A Thousand Years of Peace, Finally the Truth About End Times is Revealed. The very first thing Melissa did was announce that a terrible fate had befallen her. I'm so glad to be here, and to be honest, I probably shouldn't be here. Uh, you, are, you might have known, or maybe you didn't know, that Melissa Redpill was poisoned. <laughs> I'm not even playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah that, 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 just, that was just totally unexplained. Poisoned? I yeah. mean, that's a... Who who poisoned you? Who, who did, was it through your food? Was it you know did, did like an assassin slip some beads of you know poison in your mouth uh, while you were sleeping? What I mean, I've got a little theory strange. about it that we'll get into in a moment because she was let's say the type of poison where you run out of breath a lot mm -hmm. and you don't look mm -hmm. so well. Mm -hmm. So probably like a Bill Gates style poisoning. Mm. Oh. I see. <laughs> I stayed way the fuck away from yeah. Melissa Redpill. I was like, you guys have fun hugging that, hugging her on stage. Hope you don't get poisoned. <laughs> Instead of explaining the poisoning, she launched into a pep talk about the end times, complimenting the audience on, quote, waking up and fighting. She told them that they were David destroying Goliath, Joshua pulling down the cannibal walls of Jericho. Most of her speech was based on her newest book, End Times, Major Clues from Minor Prophets which bakes biblical passages and posits that they predicted the current Great Awakening and the patriotic fight Melissa and her audience were waging against the cabal. These were the end times. On the plus side, 10,000 years of peace were coming, and we were all going to be rich in gold. An apocalypse buoyed by a utopian vision that included a prosperity gospel. But Melissa quickly grew out of breath as she attempted to get through the slides she'd brought. One thing Melissa really wanted to emphasize was that the Lord was full of wrath and would destroy their enemies. This clip also kind of shows how she kept trying to rush through the slides while also being out of breath. The Lord is not playing. If you've been believing in the name and name of Jesus, 
This is not who he is. This is who he is. He will destroy them, and he will bring peace on earth for us. Next screen, sirs. Now the next one is, oh my goodness, I wanna, our time is going to run out. But this is in 2 Thessalonians. This is the, the beautiful truth. It says, the man of lawlessness will be revealed. We now know who the man of lawlessness is. We know. It's not one man. It's this whole cabal. The entire criminal network that's all over the world. We now know that. Now, your family members might not know, but you know that's why you're here. Because you're in the, in the fight every day to, to destroy them. And look at what it says. The Lord Jesus will slay him with the breath of his mouth and destroy him with the splendor of his coming. Amen. Amen. We now know who this is that we're fighting. Scary stuff from Melissa Redpill. Yeah, yeah. Melissa being pressed for time overall felt like a win. These are the kinds of speakers that will drive you mad with their endless baking. But Baby Trump was a rigorous taskmaster for the most part, especially with smaller speakers like this with products to show. Melissa wanted people to visit her website, Freedom Force Battalion, where she sold her books, MP3s of scripture songs, mugs, t-shirts, and other assorted merch. At the end of her speech, she posited that Trump's election was actually predicted in the Bible. She finished with a phrase often contained in Q-drops. This is biblical. The next speaker up was Mark Jalise, who runs an organization called American Patriot Relief. He was a Jan Sixer whose wife got tear gassed, and he had dedicated his life to raising funds for fellow J Sixers and their families. Now, we'll be covering this topic a little bit deeper in an upcoming episode. After Mark's plea for help, William Wade took to the stage. He was the main actor and musician in QAnon the Musical, written by a guy called Gregory Bergman. Now, I just want to get into Bergman for a moment. Bergman was present in the front row, filming the performance in the crowd, and promoting the musical on a table in the back near the liquor bar. Here's how the bio on his website starts. Bergman is a quadruple threat. He is a writer, he is an actor, he is a comic, <laughs> and he is a man who, after undergoing surgery... <laughs> Go on. <laughs> Oh, my eyes shouldn't have read for, far ahead. Uh, at the uh, undergoing surgery at the Avanti Derma Clinic, Clinic in Tijuana, Mexico, <laughs> uh, has a massive penis. <laughs> so let me read the full sentence because yes. I know I didn't get yes, through it. Please. So he's remember he's a writer, actor, comic, and he is a man who, after undergoing surgery at the Aventi Derma Clinic in Tijuana, Mexico, has a massive penis, and that is all bolted in blue font. <laughs> 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 Along with writer, actor. So if you're just reading yeah. the blue font on the bio, you just see writer, actor, comic, massive penis. <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Uh. This was very confusing to me until I looked further into him and found out that his first movie, a documentary, was all about him going on a journey to make his dick bigger. Big Like Me describes itself as, quote, the story of comedian Greg Bergman's obsessive quest to enlarge his penis. After a failed experiment using pills, pumps, and other so-called methods, Bergman travels to a surgeon in Tijuana, Mexico, where he risks everything, including his marriage, to fulfill what he sees as his destiny. Now, Big Like Me even garnered him a 2014 Huffington Post article, which was vaguely amused and somewhat complimentary of the movie. Bergman's 2018 follow-up, Obamaland, is a fictional story depicting a dystopian woke America in which people have names like LGBT Joe. Would you like to check your white privilege today? Always. One Obama book, please. 
now that I'm genderqueer, pansexual, and born positive, I just don't see this going anywhere. Remember, I want us all to feel like equals here. I'm a president for life, not a dictator. Meet the Trump Republicans. I need an outsider. I'm just a simple Obamanomics professor from Silver Lake Community College. I want you to take my virginity. Oh. I don't know if that's a, a good idea or whatever. Totes. The main character travels across the United States before joining a resistance movement led by a guy who, I am not kidding, is called Great Hope White. So, don't mm. know if you can guess the words that were rearranged there. That's right, it's Great White Hope. Bergman filmed Williams, the main actor in the musical, as he performed a song from it. And now, one interesting little caveat is that the main actor, Wade Williams, was also the FBI agent in Donald Trump, The Chosen, that melted movie we watched right, with Annie. Right, right, I, like, put two and two together once I went to his IMDb. So I guess he's just been, like, making pilled shit for a while, like, just interested in doing what he normally does, which is he's L.A.-based actor, mm-hmm. musician, dancer, kind of a, a real triple threat. Talented guy, yeah. Yeah, unlike Bergman, who I'm sure has a deformed, bizarre penis at this point. <laughs> Yeah, that thing has got to be decoration only at this point. It can't be good what happened to that penis. (laughs) So the name of this first song is in the chorus. You'll you'll get the gist of it. I tried to kind of shorten the song a bit by stitching together a couple of parts, but it was tough because the lyrics were just too perfect. So apologies, this is a little long. You guys hear me okay out there? This is from the musical, King On the Musical. As our kind of resident, um, you know. Yeah, let me, may I? Yeah, go on. Oh, boy. I give the production about a four out of ten. Yeah, baby Trump fucked the mic up. Well, and I just think it's, to me, it's pretty clear that he's using, like, garage band loops, I mean, for the drum stuff, which is fine. A lot of of people do, but there's really, there's no real production. I mean, Mm. at least from what I can tell during this live performance, everything sounds very sort of un- unproduced you know you kind of drag the sample in 
I will say the I could do without the sort of Hamilton style hip hop segments. No good. But but his sort of main piano line and the melody, the two thousand mules. Yeah. There is something there. It's sure. a little bit catchy. That part yeah. is nice. I mean, if if he expanded on that, okay. I think maybe added some harmonies. I would have liked to hear, you know, as you know, the rest of the band sort of comes in. I'd like to hear him go up to that higher register, you know, two thousand mules, you know, like br- build sure. it like that. Sure. I think he could I think there's really something there. Okay. Uh but but I Overall, I would I'd give it about a six out of ten. Yeah, I did find some online actors on an audition website warning each other to not go audition for that Greg Bergman. That is so funny. That's They're like, so he funny. makes you sign an NDA. I think this is like a weird QAnon thing. I'm, Guys, <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Be on the lo- be on the lookout <laughs> for this QAnon musical. Yeah, the entire audience joined in on singing the chorus and clapping, and the song ended to thunderous applause. Baby Trump then explained to us that this was the first of three songs that Wade Williams would perform from the musical. The other two would be coming later in the show. Awesome. Further research revealed that the QAnon musical was a spoof of Les Miserables. Here's an explanation written by Bergman himself. In a post-apocalyptic America, Patriots Johnny Val and his son, Brandon, must travel to Epstein Island to face off with Dr. This sounds like something I wrote. What the fuck? (laughs) To face off with Dr. Bill Gates before he unleashes the next killer vaccine. How does any... That doesn't... Johnny Val is Jean Valjean. The son has just been renamed Brandon. Yeah, but... It's not clear. Yeah, other than other than Johnny Val, there's really no... Yeah, but it is kind of that way because, like, I did find some video of the play, which you will be yeah. uh, having having that delight. Excellent. But... It looks like for some reason the three main actors are dressed like they're in Les Misérables, like period clothes for no reason. It doesn't. Why? Why it doesn't do? Make sense. Why do these folks? It seems like they have no understanding of what satire is or I- irony. It's like, oh, like Les Mis is like a, a popular musical, and like we'll dress the people like we've seen in videos or pictures from that musical and that's how they're similar yeah you could be casting it i think you'd be good i could be i don't know about the i just submitted though. my audition i don't know if you're a big dancer. I was singing earlier no no See, i never in the musicals get, in high school need... i always got x'd out from the dance numbers yeah. i always i always got cut you're just one of those guys who kind of sways in the background yeah the yeah. one time I did have a front-facing dance performance was I was Model the Tailor uh, in Fiddler on the Roof, and there's like a wedding dance that you have to do, and, and Model is front and center. And you, you know what happened? I slipped on my <laughs> wife's wedding dress. Uh, we were dancing next to each other and uh, basically face-planted in front yeah. of like 1,600 people in the uh, auditorium. So oh, Fuck, I would have paid to see that. Mm-hmm. It got a laugh, you know? Yeah, of <laughs> it course. It was fine. Hell yeah. So in the clips that I found of this play being performed in a theater, there was Mickey Larson Olsen, uh, as Travis mentioned. You know, she was wearing a full QAnon-themed jumpsuit with her sailor's hat, uh, absolutely completely decked out in it. And in the play, there's a couple of people dressed as mules and an actor dressed as Bill Gates and another representing Epstein. So really weird stuff overall that culminated in a finale that featured a giant Trump 2024 sign with a Q instead of the zero. So that's behind them while they all do their kind of audience bow at the end. And I'm not sure 
who the, the there's like this one guy who I guess went backstage and switched out his shirt to come out with a fuck Joe Biden shirt, uh, which I don't think is his characters. It's more like, yeah, we all agree. Yeah, okay, so that's a mule, is that one guy. When you showed me the picture yesterday before the... You asked me before, if, I thought if me, someone was dressed as a, quote, oinky, <laughs> oinky, piggy boy. <laughs> that's what it looks like. <laughs> it's just like, oink, oink, piggy boy in the musical. Like, <laughs> nothing nothing makes sense anymore. We'll, we'll be getting back to this play and uh, even hearing like little snippets of it a little later, so... The next guy to take the stage was Dallas Punisher. That's obviously not his real name. He explained early in the speech that even the first name was picked because it's the city in which he lives. So he looks a bit like if Fred Durst became more thumb-like. He helps run the Patriot Party News or PPN live stream and bootleg online cable news channel. It features a slew of QAnon programming like the Baby Trump Show, the Charlie Ward Show, and the Stu Peters Show. So all the, all the big melted names. Mm-hmm. Punisher's speech was pretty boring. At one point, he explained that he actually took a conspiracy theory class in college and got an A. He claimed he wrote a paper about the tunnels beneath the Denver airport. Now, I want to sound like Travis, but I don't think that's how college works. Who knows? He read some scripture to us. He baked it. He told the audience that we were God's chosen sons and daughters, especially those who tuned into PPN. The usual stuff. At the end of Mr. Punisher's speech, Baby Trump took to the stage again and briefly promoted his handyman, who was in the audience, explaining that he had, quote, custom-built an entire Ikea closet for me. Mm. Dallas briefly interjected that Baby Trump's closet was probably the biggest room in his house, to which Baby Trump replied, hey, stay out of my closet. Mm. All of this was obviously lost on everybody. Then came the announcement that the CloudHub video stream of the event was now free. It had previously cost $7, but the CloudHub payment processor was down. Whether this was true or not, it was kind of clear that not too, too many people were tuning in. I checked later, and it was, like, all fucked up. Like, the comments were just people like, it's a black screen! There's a little turning wheel! I can't I can't see! What's happening? And then uh, I, I went there only after texting Baby Trump just to see if maybe he could send me a video. He uh, utterly ignored me because he must have hundreds of people complaining about mm-hmm. uh, what happened there on CloudHub. So, you got his number? Good platform. Yeah, yeah, I got his number. I told you that earlier. I don't know why you got to bring it up again. Oh, yeah, that's right. Because he, he wanted you to text him a picture. Yeah. But now you've got his number and he's got yours. He doesn't really know who I am, though. Of course. It's just a number because I never identified myself in the text. And I, I just sent him the photo of him and this other guy. And like I never even told him what oh. my name was. Oh, okay, okay. So, so you're just a random guy. Yeah, baby Julian. <laughs> baby Jake, baby Julian, baby Travis, baby Trump. Next, we are treated to a presentation by citizen journalist Kelly Brady, who goes by the name Nancy Drew online after the literary teenage detective. Hmm, no copyright, uh, no, no, no copyright problems there. You don't think Dallas Punisher has to pay something? I'm just, I am Nancy Drew. Yeah. I'm Carmen Sandiego. Not even like Red Pill Nancy Drew or like... Uh, Nancy oh. Drew Awakening. I'm Dora the Explorer. It's just, yeah, it's just Peppa Pig. Hey, it's me, <laughs> the dog Drew. from Blue's Clues. <laughs> Nancy Drew advertises herself as your eyes in Washington, D.C., and she has a very unusual reporting methodology. What she does is that she wanders around the streets of Washington, D.C. with her smartphone, 
looking for evidence of like changing security measures or even just like changing decorations. So she'll spot things like um, erected fencing or sandbags or new cameras or a law enforcement presence, which, you know, happens all the time in D.C. It's a, it's a high security place. And she speculates when there are these heightened security measures, and that is evidence of a secret operation to drain the swamp or some evidence of the, you know, the maneuvers of the secret government uh, who is actually controlling things. So I I viewed her YouTube channel and it mostly consists of these 10 minute long unedited vertical videos of her wandering around DC. And she actually, she made a point of saying, saying, and baby Trump did too, that she wasn't interested in like getting any fancier equipment because this system is more authentic and um, it using her, just her smartphone and like guards against the possibility of like accusations of faked videos. Now, to give you an example of what I'm talking about, so at one point during her talk, she says that she saw a flag ceremony take place at the White House, and then afterwards, she witnessed state flags lowered to half-staff at the Smithsonian, and she speculates that this is evidence of some sort of secret military change of command. I got the nudge, I went back to the White House, and I got there just in time for the ceremony to start, and what they did was they put on the most incredible flag ceremony. I don't even know what it was. I've never seen anything like it in my life, but it was the most majestic thing I had ever seen. And they marched all the way up the sidewalk and around, and they were all carrying these flags. And it was a very, very meticulous, you could tell, military ceremony. Now, I'm sitting there like, this is incredible, because whatever this is, it's huge. What, it doesn't even matter what this is, it's huge. And people should see this beautiful, majestic thing that's being taken place today. So right after that ceremony had taken place, the next very, very unusual thing that happened was um, the Smithsonian, you know, they're all, they're all connected. And the, the museums are in the middle of the government district. So the Smithsonian's state flags, the excuse me, the Smithsonian's um, American History Museum, because there's two, all of the state flags that are out in front of it went to half staff right after that ceremony. I watched the flags, I've watched the flags since day one. Every day I look at the flags, because uh, flags talk. Uh, but the, all of the state flags had gone to half staff and they remained that way for a couple of weeks. The funny thing was, Old Glory stayed at full staff and so did the um, museum's flags. So it was only the state flags. So are the two connected? I don't know, but that's very, very interesting. Um, I did have somebody throw out there that it could have been a change in command ceremony because we do know that the military has had to take control over, you know, this is a military operation that has taken place globally. It's so interesting that J6 was like a kind of Woodstock where some people just never came back down, like they're still wandering Washington tripping balls. Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, it's it's such a weird way to spend your time because, yeah, she, she literally like she takes these long videos of like, like I said, sandbags alongside buildings and tries to figure out what it means. And then she sees, you know, um, some sort of like, you know, a, a sort of a caravan of police going down the street, trying to figure out what it really means. And it's, it's all she's just because she's so certain that um, there is some sort of pro-Trump military operation going on behind the scenes. And she's able to catch 
glimpses, tiny clues of what's really going on with, you know, all this activity that's going on around DC. She's just, she's baking physical reality and just sort of like interpreting it through her QAnon lens. Yeah, it's not good when you just hear from someone say, flags speak. Yeah. yeah they shouldn't be speaking talk. to you. Yeah. That's an inanimate object. Nancy Drew also said that when she was near the Capitol building, she overheard on a police radio someone say, clear the avenue, Trump and Kennedy are leaving. I started walking and I'm talking. I'd been on for about a half an hour and I walked by one of the Capitol police. And that was not an announcement. When you heard clear the avenue, Trump and Kennedy are leaving, that was not an announcement that came over the Capitol building. They don't do that. I happened to be standing next to one of the Capitol police, and I was able to catch that from his radio. So they made the announcement, yeah. Yeah, so that's what happens when you follow your nudges. Don't ever go against your nudges. Even when you feel like, you know, you're crazy or whatever, I mean, go with your nudges because beautiful things can happen. But um, that is the video. I wish I could have had sound for that because you hear her in the background and it's, it's, it took people, I didn't even realize it at the time. I got contacted later that night and was like, do you know what you captured? I was like, oh, no. So very, very exciting that they made the announcement and that was um, in July of 2021. So what were Trump and Kennedy doing at the Capitol in 2021? Just for fun, I decided to go to her YouTube channel and track down that that particular video and find the the like the five second long clip of police radio chatter that she was referring to, and it it's kind of incomprehensible to me what exactly is actually being said. So here it is, and maybe you can hear what what it is better than I can. From that weird little incomprehensible radio chatter that she happened to capture on her smartphone, she concluded that Trump and either junior or senior Kennedy was in the Capitol building for some unknown reason. Lunch was served in cafeteria troughs, mashed potatoes, pulled pork, and a slop that looked like cream corn, which I avoided. The meat was dry, but the big bowl of barbecue sauce made it slightly more edible. Our table had grown more populated too, a middle-aged woman in all black with a red tie had sat down with her two sons and husband, all three dressed in slacks, a white shirt, and a red tie. The sons, who looked around eight and ten, as well as the dad, all seemed like variants of Augustus Gloop from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. <laughs> she told me that she used to be a doctor in New York. Then she got red-pilled during early COVID, got into QAnon, and became a nuisance around her hospital workplace, attempting to convert others to her newfound beliefs. They told her she needed to stop doing that, so she quit her job. Now they lived in Houston, Texas, and she was a stay-at-home mom who attended QAnon events when they came on her radar, including the previous Reckoning Fests. She also mentioned to us that she thought politician Lori Lightfoot had been replaced by another person. I put all this stuff with her. I don't even believe she's still there. I think it's, you know, the person in her place, but who yeah. knows? She you know, looks, sure looks weird, but <laughs> I don't know what that means. She looks weird, and she, she looks, looks different. Yeah. I mean, how different can some of these people look before people start to question? Yeah, yeah. You know? She also explained that she had actually attended a showing of QAnon the musical, perhaps the only one ever put on, and honestly, perhaps the one that uh, they put up some clips of, and she did that with her whole family. She explained that the kids were already familiar with QAnon's claims of child trafficking and politicians using adrenochrome, but had still learned some new things from the play. One of her sons told me that he had really enjoyed it, especially a very funny joke it contained about Michelle Obama having a penis. 
When you get a chance, my kids got to see his uh, play the first time. It's amazing. It was so funny. It was so yeah, good. really. Yeah. The vice president has balls. The vice president has balls. <laughs> you know, I mean, the kids loved it. It was, it was inappropriate, but they loved it. <laughs> Michelle Obama was balls. <sighs> That's a child saying that was the best part of it. Well, not great. Yeah. I remember going to school and talking to kids and be like, oh, man, I went to, like, Super Just Games last week, and I played uh, the new Mortal Kombat. Oh, man, it's so cool. But, like, these kids are going to school being like, oh, my God, I saw the QAnon musical, and, like, oh, yeah, the, the part where Michelle Obama, they showed her penis. Oh, man, it's so funny. Yeah, it is it is sad, and, I mean, it's crazy, like, to see... Someone changed their life so drastically after getting pilled, going from like being a doctor to like someone who just yeah. kind of obsessively attends QAnon events. It's like nothing, nothing can withstand these kinds of beliefs. They'll just eat away at all kinds of aspects of your life. I asked the kid what he remembered from the musical, and he told me he remembered Bill Gates, Jeffrey Epstein, and Joe Biden drinking the blood of children. As people finished up eating and drinking iced tea, baby Trump introduced Prime Minister, a.k.a. Randall Moody, a rapper involved with Michael Protzman's negative 48 QAnon cult based out of Dallas. Baby Trump clearly had some beef with him in the past, and he told this weird passive-aggressive story about first meeting Prime Minister when Prime was passed out in public and dehydrated, explaining that baby Trump had taken him in and nursed him back to health. <laughs> then Prime Minister went silent on him, and baby Trump still had some resentment about the rapper deciding to do a podcast with another guy. So he's telling all of... This as an introduction to Prime from stage. Very incredibly awkward. Oh my God. He's getting messy. He's airing, he's he's airing out his beef as he yeah. introduces. Oh, oh my God. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> Anyways, this was his chance to rectify all of this by praising Prime with awkward intensity and performing various public displays of affection and unity. Prime, when he was finally handed the mic, led people in a bizarre pro Trump chant. You know, the day is going to come where um, the world is going to be chanting. The nation is going to be chanting. Trump, 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 Trump. It's going to happen. Right? Four times. Trump, Trump, Trump. Because he, the voice of the people, deliver us from evil. Where he goes, where we go. Trump, Trump. He, the voice of the people, deliver us from evil. Where he goes, where we go. America, let's rise up. God's spirit inside us, he live for and we die for. Trump, Trump, he the voice of the people, deliver us from evil. Where he goes, where we go. America, let's rise up. God's spirit inside us, we live for and we die for. Not a fan of we live for, we die for, and then no. it's Trump. Don't die for Trump. No, it, it did feel like he snuck that one at the end. It's like, hey, we like Trump too, also we're willing to die for him. Yeah. <laughs> when people were already kind of riled up. Prime then explained the inspiration behind the song he was about to perform, which is called I Pledge My Allegiance, as well as shouting out the negative 48 cult and Juan Osadin. Praise God. So this song is um, just to let the president know and to let our team know that we're standing with them in the midst of these turbulent times. I saw a video from General Flynn standing with his family, pledging his allegiance to the flag, and just turned it into a song. Finally, Prime performed the song. Here's a portion of it. I pledge my allegiance when we go to war with these demons. Pledge my allegiance. I pledge my allegiance. Red, white, and blue, that's for freedom. 
Maybe the first time I've seen uh, a group of people my parents' age uh, nodding yeah. their heads to a hip-hop performance. They loved him. He killed. But the- they also love him because he's like a big figure in the negative 48 kind of world. Yeah. After music came poetry, specifically that of Dr. Seema Nanda, an adjunct clinical professor at the University of Houston College of Optometry. She's an eye doctor who also happens to be radically anti-abortion, anti-trans, and spends a lot of time spreading vaccine and election conspiracy theories in interviews and at conferences, including Clay Clark's reawakening tour. Now, we don't have a recording of this portion, but I did find her performing the exact same poem at another event. And Jake, you like your popular literature. You like your classics. Yeah. Let us know if you recognize this one. Once upon a midnight dreary, while I pondered weak and weary, when I contemplated what had happened, suddenly there came a tapping as patriots gently rapping, rapping at the Capitol door. Tis some visitors requesting entrance to the floor, only this and nothing more. Ah, I distinctly remember it was in the bleak of November when 10 million votes were taken in the dead of night. I awoke with such a fright. The count had stopped. It was close to three o'clock. And Sleepy Joe would win when the count would begin again. How could this happen? We implored, but we patriots were completely ignored. Unlike the mobs of BLM, the flag wavers were ushered in. Excited and thoughtful, they walked through the grounds the police leading the way, which kind of is hard to wrap around. They were put on high alert only when Ashley Babbitt got hurt. Looks like it was staged because the media became enraged, but not at the prisoners that should be let go. What was their crime? To go against the status quo? How could this happen, we implored. But again, we patriots were completely ignored. Creepy Joe is still perverse, and the economy has gotten worse. He's sniffing girls while his son sniffs blow, and the inflation is looming, and the price, gas prices grow. Why do Democrats love chaos and disorder while trafficking and fentanyl continue to cross our border? How could this happen? We implored, but again, we patriots were 
completely ignored. The poem went on to complain about the COVID-19 vaccine, which she called the clot shot, and to implore patriots to never stop fighting. Alone, they were bees, she explained, but together they were a swarm that could, quote, take this cabal down. God was on their side. The audience cheered. After this, a musician took to the stage. His name was Billy Falcon, and he led people in like a series of kind of country slash folk songs, one of which was basically him repeating, Alex Jones was right about everything, almost everything, almost everything. Mm-hmm. That was the chorus. And okay. other such similar stuff. It was nice. He's a pretty good musician. Lots of people enjoyed it. Yeah. After a couple more speeches, it was time for Wade Williams to grace the stage again, performing his second song from the QAnon musical. It was entitled False Flag and contained the aforementioned joke about Michelle Obama having a penis, but to our further horror, also promoted the belief that the Sandy Hook school shooting was a false flag, the same ridiculous claim that got Alex Jones in serious legal troubles. I thought I'd play the version they recorded in the theater because it it actually also includes a little snippet of the play, plus the quality is slightly higher than the Reckoning Fest version. I'm coming with you! No, no you can't, it's too dangerous. He's my son too! I understand that. But someone has to stay here in case he comes home. Someone has to stay here and play the government's sick game. Sick game of fake funerals and liberal anti-gun bullshit. Language! Sorry. Nothing makes me more mad than these fucking false flags. Oh my gosh, language! Okay, sorry. False flag, so sad. Trying to get my gun, it's a false flag. So sad, we ain't buying it. We ain't buying it. A false flag, oh, so sad. We ain't buying it. We ain't buying it. Vegas, Texas made a sandy hook. For a fool, you must have lost his truck. No pain, no tragedy. Shell of Obama, she's a hiding that pee pee. I mean, yeah. So they showed Michelle Obama in a pantsuit and it like swirled forward and the big question mark appeared on her crotch and the crowd went wild. There's this like young, attractive actor who's performing, you know, with him on stage and he's going like, you know, Sandy Hook and she's clapping her thigh and I'm just like, Uh, what is, like, how do you get there? One... Very unfortunate audition at a time. I just... Next speaker was Scott Bennett. And Scott Bennett claimed to be a former Army officer. He boasted an impressive resume and a crazy story about how he wound up in prison. My background was as a special operations officer. I received a direct commission to the United States Army in psychological warfare. I worked in the State Department. I worked with Ed Snowden. I was in the Booz Allen Hamilton team. I've been to Iran. I've been to Russia. Uh, I've been to Iran twice, actually, and uh, wrote Shell Game, which exposed 
the connection to the Obama-Biden administration, the Hillary Clinton Foundation, the Union Bank of Switzerland financing of terrorism, in Saudi Arabia, in Qatar, in Libya, in Syria, uh, and elsewhere. And they threw me in jail for three years saying I filled out a housing form improperly. I thought it was a CIA training because I had a top secret SCI clearance. And uh, it wasn't. It was Barack Obama in panic mode, Joe Biden in panic mode, Hillary Clinton in panic mode. So he got arrested and thought it was a CIA test. Yeah, he thought, I... he thought that it was some sort of training exercise from uh -huh. the CIA to, to, I guess, help him better understand what to do if he is actually arrested in real life. But no, he was actually arrested. I'm sure this is all going to check out his version. And he was in jail for three years? Yeah, three years. At what point do you go, maybe this wasn't a test? <laughs> <laughs> I was really curious, though, like why he, if he actually went to prison, he did. And uh, what, what, uh, what the, why, why did the courts say he went to prison? So that was his story. But the courts, you may not be surprised to learn, they have a different sort of explanation of events. And they say that he actually went to prison for tricking MacDill Air Force Base in Florida into giving him an apartment and storing weapons on that base without authorization. Oh, hell yeah. Grifting the army? Let's go. Yeah, just yeah, tricking the army. So, I mean, it turns out that uh, Ben is kind of a, a smooth talker and he has a history of stretching the truth. The st whole story is kind of wild. So here's how the incident at that Air Force base was reported by the Tampa Tribune. As a newly minted officer in the U.S. Army Reserves, Scott Allen Bennett received rave reviews from his superiors at the 11th Psychological Operations Battalion during his first evaluation as a second lieutenant. Bennett, a personnel officer, was lauded, among other things, for devising a system to ensure evaluations were done on time. He was recommended for promotion. Quote, his future with the Army is unlimited, wrote one superior officer. Then came the lies, prosecutors say. Even before his evaluation was done, Bennett wrote an email to his civilian employer, military contractor Booz Allen Hamilton, seeking a position at MacDill Air Force Base. In the email introduced this morning at Bennett's federal trial on charges that he lied his way onto housing at MacDill Air Force Base, Bennett told Booz Allen Hamilton officials that he was a, quote, psychological operations officer with counterterrorism experience and a, quote, Islam analyst who had worked with U.S. Special Operations Command and the State Department. He wrote that he had a secondary military specialty as a personnel officer. But that wasn't true. Lieutenant Colonel Joel Droba, an Army reservist and commander of Bennett's battalion, testified. Bennett was not a psychological operations officer, had not undergone the training, and served in a support role as a personnel officer. And Bennett never had any orders from Special Operations Command during his tenure with the battalion. Army Lieutenant Colonel Frank Harrar, aide-de-camp to Special Operations, Command Chief Admiral Eric Olson, later testified that SOCOM had no record of contracts with Bennett. In January of 2010, Booz Allen Hamilton approved a contract for Bennett to work as a counter-threat finance analyst at the Joint Intelligence Operations Center at U.S. Central Command. Later that month, investigators say that after arriving at MacDill on a flight with Admiral Eric Olson, Bennett told base housing officials that though he didn't have all the documentation he needed to move on to the base, he was an aide to the admiral and was on a secret mission and needed housing immediately. Ah, oh, what a good one. I'm on a secret mission. <laughs> housing officials allowed him to move in despite not having provided copies of his orders or a military pay stub. Then, at about 2 a.m. on April 23rd, he showed up at the Dale Mabry Gate and was stopped for a routine security inspection. 
An inspection of his car found two knives and an empty gun holster. Bennett denied having more weapons when asked by a guard. Bennett, according to the investigators, appeared confused during the encounter, and Tampa police were called in. Police found a concealed weapon on Bennett, and upon inspection of the car, found a loaded handgun, three more knives, a box of throwing stars. Come on. <laughs> throwing stars! He's a fucking child! Yeah, yeah. Oh my god, he's a ninja on a secret special mission. Oh my god. And goodness. probably fucked up. A box of throwing yeah. stars, a large machete, a collapsible baton, a slingshot with BBs, <laughs> and mace. What the fuck is he, Dennis the Menace? Oh my One, god. Once inside Bennett's housing, investigators found seven loaded firearms, 9,389 rounds of ammunition, numerous knives, an electric... He's like, he's like I he got doing? so many yeah. knives. What is he doing with this? My this, god, there's too many weapons. This guy has like 20 knives. You have 10,000 rounds. An electric stun gun and a collapsible baton, in addition to other weapons and unnamed prohibited material. Mm, yeah, I think we can guess what kind of prohibited material it was by how confused he was at this uh, security check. So an absolute clown and a liar. And uh, also, he was wearing like plaid pants, like a normal suit, but just like bright plaid pants. Yeah. Very fucking weird. So what wound up happening is that uh, he, got a, he got a jury trial. He was found guilty. Um, he was sentenced to three years in prison. And he claimed at the time that he, he just simply made innocent mistakes. He claimed, for example, that he was merely confused by the uh, housing bureaucracy or something. Um, but the, the judge in the case didn't buy it. And he said this. I don't know as I sit here if you are one of those individuals who just don't have a regard for the truth. Maybe you don't realize you're being dishonest and you believe your own stories. You say these were little mistakes. You knew what you were doing. You did it on purpose. So Bennett, like again, he was a personnel officer in the reserves. He did like HR for the Army reserves. He was never a PSYOP officer at all. Uh, he certainly wasn't a PSYOP active duty officer. But despite his lack of uh, substantive credentials, uh, Bennett has been repeatedly treated as a source for reports in Iranian and Russian state media. For example, I found a 2015 report published in the Russian state outlet Sputnik, which is headlined, Putin, the best thing happened to Russia in 100 years, U.S. officer. That U.S. officer is Bennett, who is described in the article as a former U.S. Army psychological warfare officer. Hell yes. So <laughs> that's... Great stuff, great stuff. So, yeah, Bennett, like a lot of people there, he did some vicious transphobia. And uh, he also uh, played a video of himself going on a trip to Iran and included a montage set to the song Highway to the Danger Zone. He tried <laughs> to convince the crowd that the Iranian people actually like Trump, but I don't I don't know. You know. Between like the sanctions, the drone assassinations, I would be surprised if there's like any truth to that. Yeah, it was confusing because um, he's like, he's like, they love Trump, but also Soleimani is like their best general and like a hero, but Trump yeah. killed him. K killed, yeah, yeah, yeah. Also, like I said, t uh, t already you know, like increased you know, uh, sanctions. I, I just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't think uh, I really I don't I would be shocked no if uh, the Iranian sense. people have a positive attitude towards any uh, American president. Uh, and it's also Trump. fucking irrelevant because what he didn't bring up is that the reason the Shah was installed in the first place is because a left-wing government fucking rose in Iran naturally through fucking democratic means and the British and the Americans absolutely stepped on that so fucking hard that it launched the country into cycles of violence and religious extremist rule. Yeah. Bennett also claimed that the 2020 U.S. election was stolen in part 
by the Labor Union Federation, AFL-CIO. So that one was kind of a new one to me. Yeah. But it claims that an internal slide deck proves that this is a, the case. This is one of the documents that I took back and briefed Trump's team on. This is a top secret document that came from inside whistleblowers. I won't go into say who, but it came from directly the AFL-CIO. They were planning with the uh, senior executive service, which were the bureaucrats in Washington, D.C., to overthrow President Trump, to shut down Capitol, Capitol Hill, Washington, D.C. They had Zoom calls on it. They, had, they were conspiring with Nancy Pelosi and other top-level, Chuck Schumer, top-level Democrats. Uh, this, was the, this is the smoking gun that will crucify them when this eventually goes through its uh, legal pr process. After the election, we will mobilize, we will defend our victory to advance the labor movement's agenda. Well, they wrote this slide, this presentation, and went out to 10 people, 10 people across the United States, all high-level AFL-CIO guys. Again, this was smuggled out by guys that I know. Um, but they did this in September of 2020. September of 2020. They knew they were gonna overthrow and steal and do all sorts of corruption. This has to be the single weirdest anti-union take. <laughs> yeah. It's like, what? Yeah, it was, it was really weird. So I don't know the actual source of the slide, but if it is, even if it is like a secret slide deck meant only for like high-level AFL-CIO people, that's not evidence of the conspiracy. It's evidence that like the organization was planning their next steps should Biden win, which is like yeah. a normal thing for organization i guess you know politically connected organizations to do yeah it's um, literally like but, like one of those things where it's like these are our goals uh these are our next steps okay everybody <laughs> yes, meeting it, over yeah <laughs> yeah right that's yeah that was it's very very weird but um bennett went on to explain that the afl cio was just one player in this conspiracy it also evidently involved the chinese communist party and the union bank of switzerland he also encouraged people to engage in pseudo legal practices based on the premise that joe biden isn't actually president so that in a nutshell is a shell game uh it, it encompasses a lot uh there's the domestic for the domestic policy side, which was President Trump, who is still our president, was overthrown by a Chinese communist-backed uh, operation using Union Bank of Switzerland with Joe Biden, the Democrat Party, the AFL-CIO, uh, to to uh, engage in this coup d'état. One of the most important sentences you can ever uh, say and learn, and we've got it in the Shell Game book in very specific legal language that you can use, is be advised or hereby serve legal notice, school board, supervisor, sheriffs. Any orders that come from Joe Biden are illegitimate and unconstitutional because he is not the president of the United States. Great advice. Mm-hmm. Scott Bennett then had everyone stand up and raise their right hand so he could deliver the oath of commissioned officers. Again, Bennett, according to the research I did, was actually on active duty for a total of one week while he was taking a training course. But uh, that made him feel qualified enough to personally make the entire crowd officers, but not actually in the military. I don't quite get it. Um, he's really just LARPing his ass off at, at that point. Oh, yeah. And people loved it. They lined up to get his book signed afterwards. They were fucking loving it. Know the oath, and it's serious to us. It's, it's personal. My father was a Marine Corps aviator. He's a fighter pilot in Vietnam. My uncle was a pilot in the Air Force. I was, of course, the Army guy. 
But um, one of the, what we took was an oath as officers. And I want those of you, you do not have to be in the military because you are citizens are already this, the military of the Constitution. And for those of you who are so inclined, being an officer, I can give the oath to those who wish to raise their hand and join in the United States as warriors, as officers on their own prerogative to uphold and support and defend the Constitution of the United States. After this, Travis and I took the oath. When it was finished, I turned to Travis and shook his hand and told him, congratulations, man. <laughs> yeah, we did it. Yeah, you know, I felt very proud to finally be a commissioned officer until I found found out that the person delivering it was stealing valor. And uh, it was really tainted. Oh. I, don't, I don't know what to think anymore. Okay, that's true, I guess. The most anticipated guest of the day was Juan O'Savin. Like Julian mentioned, his real name is Wayne Willett. And according to some people, including people in that room, he's the living JFK Jr., despite the fact that he is a portly, bearded man. I don't get it. When 107 came on the stage, he had his back to the audience, and he stayed that way because he was evidently waiting for our host, Chris Ericks, to get everyone to put their phones down, presumably because a photo of his face would reveal the secret that he's the living JFK Jr., but this is really weird. I've seen his face before. I saw his face when he, um, when he attended the Patriot Double Down uh, event in Las Vegas, um, so I'm not sure. I, I don't know. They're, I think there's, they're, I think in practical terms, they're just trying to maintain the mystique of 107. All right, ready? Everybody got paid attention? All right, all right, hold on. Come on, phones down. Come on. Phones down. Come on, phones down. All right? Phones down, no video. If you see somebody, grab me. It's a 107! So 107's speech was brief and it's partly personal. He talked, for example, about getting married. I learned that he married another longtime QAnon promoter named Jennifer Mack. He also took questions from the crowd. Two questions. The first question was, quote, there's a lot of discussion about the white hats using artificial intelligence to plan out and game plans and so forth. And I'm just asking your opinion, which is better, artificial intelligence or divine intelligence? Which is, by the way, like a trick question that you're just supposed to be like, divine intelligence, and you move on. But of course, hey, this is Juan. He's going to throw them a curveball. Well, if you look at, for example, uh, it's, it's a fair question. If you look at the Q operation, how much scripture do you see in that? So in, from a divine perspective, you have a line that doesn't change. It's immutable. It is always exactly the same forever. Uh, the word of God is unchanging. Not one dot or tittle will perish or pass away before all these things come to pass. Within the Q operation, using AI, which is, uh, handles all of the timing and to make sure that everything overlaps precisely, it's consistent all the way from beginning to end. Kind of reandering, you just talked about, well, both are good because the Q operation used Bible quotes, but also artificial intelligence, so they work together, but Bible is the backbone. I don't know. He's he's a real kind of rollicking speaker. I think he's engaging to people because he's not 
he's not falling into evangelical diatribe. He is an old school, like card shark style bullshitter, like a guy who'll fucking talk your ears off and you'll have a great fucking night at a bar. And like the next day you find out like you paid for all the drinks yeah. and he wasn't who he said he was. Juan's time on stage was very short here. He was cut off by Baby Trump, who wanted to keep everything under the proper time constraints. Baby Trump felt bad for cutting Juan O'Savin off, but promised another hour of his yammering later in the evening. He explained that he chose to do so due to another act. Well, we're changing things up a little bit, all right? I have a hard stop at 5.30. Hard stop. I can Frank Sinatra person and wait on that, okay? And then, we're, then, then we'll do whatever. <laughs> I've got a Frank Sinatra whatever, whatever. The, 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 I, I've been on working, deck. I've been working night and day to book this guy. He's one of the best. He's one of the best. He's getting impatient. I don't care what the fuck we talk about afterwards, but I got to make <laughs> sure my Frank Sinatra guy feels, you, you know, welcomed and we respect his time. Uh, you know, he provided the charcuterie, so. He didn't. Uh, well, the, the, uh, the Frank Sinatra guy was really fascinating because people were spotting him early, but he doesn't obviously doesn't look anything like Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. He just looks like a really well-dressed British man. Like, he could be James Bond. Yeah. Like, straight up. Really handsome, tall. You'll see later that he doesn't like to be referred to as a Frank Sinatra impersonator. Baby Trump then invited everyone involved in the event to take the stage, including volunteers and vendors. This blocked the monitor out completely, which was a shame because the next track was a sing-along with a lyric video. <laughs> Too bad. Wade Williams had to perform with all of those people behind him, and despite the change of plans, he was going to do it with a smile. Thank you. Uh, so, boys and girls, we, I think we're all of the same accord. So, uh, go ahead and start that last song. Make sure it's nice and loud. Make sure we have the volume nice and loud. I'm going to sing it. There words are across the screen, but you can't see that. That's okay. Uh, I'm pretty sure you'll figure this out as we go. So, just let me know when that, uh, that last song comes up. When things keep going wrong, you got to stand up, hands get strong. Keep on moving on, queuing on and on and on, queuing on and on and on, queuing on and on and on. When you know where you belong, queuing on and on and on. There will come a day when things will go our way, when the righteous will seize the day, when evil will dissipate. Where kids can go and play Safe from pedophilia Make the world a better place Join Q and on today Q and on and on and on Q and on and on and on When you know where you belong Q and on and on and on and Those of you are laughing when you see us all we can do is hope and pray That you will rule the day Let the storm wash you away Come to your town very soon.
very soon. God bless. Nice high note at the end. Yeah, no, he can hit his notes. Like yeah. I like I liked him. Yeah. Overall. I, I wasn't as much of a fan as of this song. I thought the first the first chorus was catchier, but yeah. he he is good with his choruses. I like the switch from major to minor, you know, the Q and on and on and on. Yeah. Q and on and on and on. There's there's really I mean, there's That's something so catchy there. I mean, yeah. th- this guy's not a complete moron, uh no. minus the lyrical content, but no, it, yeah, it was okay. It was all right. Yeah, and it's also really interesting how subtle it was <laughs> and how it's kind yeah. of unclear yeah. what he believes in or what he wants you to follow, <laughs> you know. I I mean, I I just thought it was very strange that he decides, well, of course, he had to make it fit the song, but he pronounced it pedophilia. <laughs> yes, that... Weird That's way an awkward to moment. Call attention to that he word. Was, he was going by oh. the uh, the the British spelling, but even then, it's pedophile. It's still. It's not that. It's it, like it's a comedy. Yeah. That's why it's funny. It's about Michelle Obama's balls. We're gonna misrhyme. Yeah, we're gonna misrhyme it on purpose. It's funny. They swear in it, as oh, you yeah. heard. They'll be like, "Oh, damn it! I swore again." You know, stop swearing. Swear. Yeah. You know, like it's it's. Are there like of, Christian moms in the audience yeah. who brought their like teenage boys? Yeah. They just want to learn about adrenochrome without the swearing. That's like going to the QAnon musical as like the, you know, the son or daughter of like, you know, evangelical parents is like probably going to get to see a rated R movie in the theater for the first time. Oh, yeah, for sure. What Christian movies making jokes about Michelle Obama's genitalia? And and those are memes that they recognize. They go, hey, this is hip. This is cool. I mean, it was crazy. There was a there was a point where a guy was just screaming demonics transgenders like just listing like enemies and it was just dark like there's so much transphobia and obviously i'm not going to sit here and fucking debunk that i mean so stupid it's not worth debunking but it is worth mentioning just how insanely toxic and prevalent transphobia Mm -hmm. uh, was in all these people's speeches where i would think maybe five years ago that just wasn't the case yeah. It wasn't the obsession of these people. Um, and uh, these fucking poison merchants uh, on all these different platforms are creating a hatred for a type of person, which they don't even want to exist. And um, yeah, pretty straightforwardly nasty stuff. Even though he was supposed to be tight on time, it seemed baby Trump had uh, allotted a little bit of time for himself before they threw to Frank Sinatra. He started getting very emotional, and it was kind of hard to tell what exactly he was trying to communicate. It felt a bit like a teenage girl making a speech at her Sweet 16 party who, like, has frenemies in the audience. I always watch, and I always at the end, it's going to be my thing, and nobody will ever take it away from me. But I'm, I'm one of you guys, and I always watch what you see at my event at the end. The ending is the most important thing to me. Because I get to... I, I get, I, get, I get to watch you guys, and I get to see what you do. I'm a fan. I'm the biggest fan there is. We had, we had a very special day. It's only going to get better. But I believe in gifts, and I believe in blessings. And, and Britt is like my conscience, and she said something to me. And I'm like, yeah, done. So, Prime, where are you, Prime? Prime, come here. Come here. What did he do? Well, this was his big theatrical moment where he finally buried his resentment for Prime Minister. (laughs) And it all centered around a yellow bomber jacket worn by a good portion of the audience present. 
They were all getting it signed by Juan O'Savin, and it represented Trump as a bullfighter waving an American flag as a red-eyed bull whisked past him. They called it the El Magador jacket, and baby Trump had decided to gift his to Prime Minister. All right, so, so how many of you guys have this jacket? Means a, mean, means a lot, doesn't Means a lot, doesn't it? I, I still haven't worn my jacket. Here's why, because not, every, not everybody got their jacket. So I had to wait till you all got your jackets, so then I can wear mine. That's how much your jacket means to me. There's somebody here who just said, man, I want that jacket. We should do one with sequins next time. <laughs> so this is a pretty ugly moment where Wayne Willett, a.k.a. Juan Savin, makes another dig at, you know, the, I don't know, general fruitiness, let's say, of baby Trump. Uh, and he said, next time I'll have to make one with sequins. In the middle of, you know, I mean, yes, it might feel a little bit like a theater crying. A little bit. Yeah. It's a bit, he's pushing it a bit, but still, it's like, hey, come on, man. Come on, man. Don't get a joke in when he's trying to do his emo moment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So here he is giving the jacket, finally. And uh, yeah, I've included a photo for you, Jake. Obviously, the listener can't see it, but that is the uh, El Magador jacket. And um, that is also the face of JFK Jr. that I did capture. You couldn't stop me. Yeah, I struggle to see the resemblance. He looks like and Santa Claus. God, the jacket is so morphed and like... Yeah, horrible. Yeah, like Trump. Trump's legs are very, very long and his torso is very short. It is a bizarre jacket. Head very big. Yep. Screaming. Screaming. And uh, it's just so bright yellow. And everybody was wearing this bomber jacket, like middle-aged ladies and shit. It was very funny. 107 actually discussed the jacket and what he thought it meant during his rambling second speech to the crowd. Because I do think, and I don't think I'm overstating it, when this whole thing comes to a head at the end, I think this imagery or something like that will be the way we remember it. Trump as the Megador, taking on the deep state, and all of you that held the line. That's why I like to date the jackets because you're early adopters for what's about to happen not just in america but across the world okay seriously um there's something that's about to happen and even you know what's the first arrest going to be i want to know when gitmo's going to be open for business full time uh it's coming person filming it you can just hear their breathing like just their heavy breathing and they're filming the boots just the boots just yeah. the pointy boots as if they were sti- sticking out from under a house that that uh, had fallen on the wearer <laughs> <laughs> of the boots i love that he's like you're the early adopters of this jacket this jacket is yeah. going to be seen in every on every back of every american telling people who've been following QAnon since like <laughs> late 2017 that they're early adopters about the storm coming is incredibly I, funny yeah well they're just gonna reset they're just gonna reset the storm starts now i yeah i love that too like even if the people who got into it in 
you know, in in 2018 or even during the pandemic, you know, in 2020, if people got into it then, it's like, well, you know, you've been waiting three years. Well, tell you what, you are just the beginning and I'm going to sign your jacket with today's date so that you can prove to people in the future you are on the ground floor of this this project. I mean, my God, he's just he's setting these people up to wait literally the rest of their lives for the storm to come. Well, yeah, he's got cigars to smoke. He's got cars to drive. He's got hotel rooms to be in. He's a fucking celebrity. Again, I mean, this is a melted man uh, that came from uh, probably just another series of awful things that he did to other people that now no longer associate with him. I mean, he's definitely one of these guys. Every seven years, let's just say he reinvents himself to a new town under a new name. I looked up the jacket and it was being sold through the website of Jennifer Mack, a chef, nutritionist, and YouTuber who got extremely pilled somewhere around 2018, so very early. Before her descent down the rabbit hole, she published two books on healthy eating and sold t-shirts that said things like, Real Men Eat Kale. She abruptly started publishing QAnon-related videos in September 2018 and never went back. Curiously, her entry point seems to have been the idea that JFK Jr. was still alive, and at the time, she seemed to believe he was Vincent Fusca. But she very quickly became involved with the other guy some Q followers believe is JFK Jr., Juan Osavin, who she would go on to do video editing work for. The two married in 2022, and she's often in the passenger seat during Juan Osavin's infamous car streams. Friend of the show and researcher 2022 underscore karma on Twitter informed me that Prime Minister was the person who introduced Juan Osavin to the Negative 48 cult and Michael Protzman. In fact, Prime, Juan, and Protzman first did a live stream together about two weeks before the cult went to Dallas and really started to gain steam as a semi-permanent physical gathering in late October of 2021. And thus, after a teary moment, baby Trump finally introduced Frank Sinatra. The charcuterie spread, which was massive, was beautifully set up on a table under a tree wrapped in blue LEDs. I'm gonna, I'm gonna bring up this next gentleman. If you've heard my podcast and hear me going on others, what I've done is I've talked about this guy. Being from New Jersey and New York, you know I love this guy. From Hoboken, Hoboken, New Jersey, right? The land of what? Frank E, right? Frank Sinatra. All right, so I'm gonna bring him up. He's gonna serenade you, Frank Sinatra, and then you guys can go help sell charcuterie bar. Yeah. Yeah. And if you want to upgrade, come see me in the lobby. Okay? Well, good evening, everyone. You're not going to believe it, but I'm not actually an American. I'm an Australian, but I'm in the best country in the world and the best state, almost the best state, I'd say Florida's pretty close. The best state and the best country, you know. <laughs> it's good to be here, so thank you. Thank you. And I'm a constitutionalist, just to let you know. I'm a rare breed amongst musicians, constitutionalists, but you know, it is what it is. <laughs> Start off with a bit of Nat King Kong. As Sinatra played songs, people congregated around the liquor and charcuterie. Travis and I got some stiff drinks and headed to the outdoor patio area, where we marveled over what we had just experienced. It was one of the most bizarre things either of us had ever attended, and we've probably been to more of these things than people who actually support the QAnon belief system. I was just glad Travis felt like it had been worth it. I'd convinced him to come out to Texas on short notice, and it could well have been a bust. 
Instead, what I experienced felt like one of the strongest cases for QAnon having become a full-blown cultural phenomenon. A musical, hip-hop, poetry, folk songs, scene infighting, divas running events, WWE-style character arcs, and merch drops. What's more, people were growing less ashamed of the QAnon brand as time progressed. It felt like January 6th was receding into memory as a shameful thing. Those feelings were placed by a coherent movement to lionize the entire event and make participants who faced repercussions into a constellation of martyrs. Yeah, what's interesting is that like a lot of modern QAnon promoters, they, whenever you call it QAnon, they'll resort to that old Q drop that says, oh, there is no QAnon, there's Q and there are non, so, you know, so QAnon isn't a real thing. But in this event, no one objected to the fact that someone's playing a song called QAnon and on. They were fine with it. I guess they sort of, at least this crowd at least, this particular segment of the QAnon community, just gave up the pretense of saying that there is no QAnon. Maybe Travis had been right. Maybe it got into the water. Maybe we would be hearing about it for at least a generation, if not more. It certainly seemed that way when an eight-year-old told me about adrenochrome and Michelle Obama's penis. I tucked my MAGA hat back into my pants. My mind was spinning as we drove back to the hotel. I hadn't even tasted the charcuterie board. Tomorrow we'd be going to Dallas to visit the site of JFK's murder before taking our flights home. So yeah, we missed you there, buddy. I mean, we had a great time at Dealey Plaza the next day. Got what was you, that like? Got you a cool mug. Well, Yeah, the mug is awesome. I thought, I was like, okay, I want to do this, but I felt like this is maybe just symbolic because it probably won't be that interesting. However, it was. Uh, maybe not in the way that the museum wanted it to be, um, but visiting the Sixth Floor Museum, very well regimented, full of people, children kind of stumbling around, muttering about good shot, good shot, and like looking at the gun and looking at, you know, really? Harvey Oswald. And yeah. And people were gathered at this sixth floor, which is supposedly the floor from which, you know, Lee Harvey Oswald shot JFK Jr. Uh, after they had just turned a corner with this motorcade. It's really great, actually, because you, you go there and it just, you just feel the paranoia take over you. You know, it's oh, just yeah. like, oh, yeah. you, you feel, it just, it feels warm and it feels natural and um it, yeah. it, it really inspires um you know good old classic kind of like pre-internet kind uh conspiracy theorizing and speculation and uh you know you know trying to resolve unanswered questions yeah it was neat yeah because when we leave the museum what happens but a series of stands set up by people who want to you know, show you yeah. magazines, show you pictures, show you different things that you don't get to see in the museum, including certain frames of the Zapruder film. That's true. Where Kennedy's head appears to go in the wrong direction. Yeah. Um, and then also you get to walk to the grassy knoll, which just says this is the famous grassy knoll. And you get to stand there and see just how fucking close the grassy knoll is to the spot where he was shot. I mean, it is insanely close. Everything was smaller than I expected. Mm. Everything was smaller and just more ordinary. Than I expected. But yeah, there are like holdouts, these guys who've probably been here for decades and, and they're trying to tell you the other story that the museum doesn't tell you. And they kind of pitch up between the museum and the grassy knoll, which was really fascinating. I, being there with Travis was, it was lovely. Yeah. You know, felt like another step in our weird friendship. It was, it was cool. I was like, yeah, there were, there were guys in, in, in addition to like, you know, uh, frames of the Zupriter film, they show you like gory photos of like, of, of, uh, Kennedy's, you know, blown apart head and stuff from the autopsy and fo- whatever. Um, and it, I mean, it, 
it kind of like reminded me because, you know, this was, um, you know, obviously, you know, American conspiracism is as old as the United States, but, you know, this is really a, kind of like a big bang event for, I guess, post-war conspiracism and, um, you know, when America was still trying to grapple with the rise of these weird intelligence agencies that were, you know, gaining incredible amounts of power and influence uh, as the Cold War started. It, it, um, it felt like, I don't know, it felt like, like this was really when really kicked off, like I said, in the second half of the 20th century. And, but c- conspiracy theorizing at the time felt, involved, it felt like a lot more like, I don't know, forensics and uh, documentation and um, trying to uh, devise meaningful connections between suspects and other, pe- uh, other people they may that may have influence. And then somehow it got melted into secretly Trump as president, which is like, that's not that's not even something I can argue with or it's not it's not theorizing. It's not it's not, you know, uh, assembling a body of evidence in order to make a case. It's just sort of like asserting the reality you wish it was. So, I mean, it's, it's obviously it's kind of dumb and it's usually ill advised to be nostalgic for a time from before when you were you were born. But I don't know. It feels like uh, feels like conspiracy theorizing used to be a little bit more respectable intellectual en- enterprise that was you know pursued by uh, you know members of Congress and pursue pursued by uh, federal prosecutors and people trying to simply trying to make sense of uh, the information and trying to document what what happened in the the history as it unfolds. Intentional or not, the development of conspiracy theorizing over the last 60 years from the point that you're describing is extremely convenient. The end result is that, yeah, you're throwing out the baby with the bathwater. Anybody who's like paranoid about these insanely flimsy official narratives around some of these events in history, it it, it just uh, feels very convenient. And it feels like, yeah, I mean, if you, if you kind of look at the American psyche, you get lied to enough. You're like, yeah, fuck it. Maybe JFK Jr. is alive. I don't fucking know. They never explained that last 12 things. I'm confused. I'm going to do cheaper, shittier drugs. Let's go. So you're going to come with us next time we go to Dallas? Yeah, I'd love to. Sounds great. Thank you for listening to another episode of the QAnon Anonymous podcast. It's through your support that we stay advertising free and editorially independent. And you can go sign up for a second episode for every main one, plus access to our series at patreon.com slash QAnon Anonymous. And if you already are doing that, uh, you're giving us your your hard-earned $5 uh, a month, we appreciate you and thank you because uh, your support allows us to send Julian and Travis to Dealey Plaza uh, mm-hmm. for charcuterie and... Um, <laughs> And uh, constitutionalist Frank Sinatra <laughs> from Australia. From Australia, from Australia. and um, uh, uh, yeah. baby Trump uh, uh. weeping, uh, weeping about <laughs> his uh, Donald Trump jacket. Uh, so th- you yeah. did this. So yeah. we thank you, listener. Until next week, may the deep dish bless you and keep you. It's not a conspiracy. It's fact. And now, today's auto cue. I'm not a Frank Sinatra impersonator because I just happen to master that accent, you see. But we'll give it a shot, we'll give it a shot. And now, he handles me. And so I feast the final curtain.
take my kids I'm rich and seven I feel a life that's full I've traveled each and every highway But more, much more than this I did it Much more than this. 